Welcome to ATBS, the podcast, all things big and small. I'm your host, Jeff Volmerick. Thank you, as always, for joining. The upcoming episode is the second in an ongoing series called SFAO with Matt Seiler, or Situation Fluid, Agenda Open. Matt is one of the most innovative, entertaining, quick-witted, and articulate people I know. Personally and professionally, Matt's a renovator. He's a three-time CEO who's led some of the advertising industry's most awarded agency and agency groups. And Matt is the Managing Director of Marketing and Communications, as well as Executive in Residence at Reigns International. Matt's active on LinkedIn and Twitter, so check him out there. And I hope you enjoy SFAO number two with Matt Seiler on ATBS, the podcast. Hey, you guys, it's Sharpie. I'm the guest from episode number 20. I like to travel to the edge of the known universe and peer over the edge to see what's out there. It's sort of like digging below the surface, tapping into the electromagnetic network of fungi and tree roots to try and figure out what they're talking about. Spread the word to anyone who you think may be interested in expanding their horizon and growing their universe. Thanks, guys. Tune in soon. Well, Matt, welcome back to ATBS, the podcast and number two episode of SFAO. It is so good to be back, Jeff. A lot of things have happened since last we were talking, not the least of which was almost 7,000 people took a listen on my LinkedIn, and I know that you've had some major following through all things big and small, so congratulations on your success. Thank you. It's been really exciting. It's a little, it's not really nerve wracking because once you record and you put it out there, you know, unlike something that would be a live scenario, you put it out there and then, and then it's out there. One of my guests earlier on said, I wonder if we're just talking into a black hole. And sometimes it can feel like that because when you and I recorded SFAO number one, it was pre-release of ATBS, the podcast. So there was nothing out in the world. ATBS didn't exist on the airwaves. Now, of course, we've been live for, I think Monday will be five weeks. So a new episode drops every Monday. And over the course of the first, you know, just a little under 30 days, we were downloaded more than 1200 times and across all episodes and lots of different countries and lots of different cities and some episodes get more play than others and it's fascinating to watch and it's just so cool i think back to the last conversation that we had on sfao and the origination of this and the twinkle in your eye is just a very real thing now. it's really <laughs> fun to listen to to say nothing of participate in thank you and then, of course, you on LinkedIn, it's fascinating to see the different guests, how they live their lives, number one, but then how do various guests present yourselves electronically or across social media? And so, as you just referenced, you know, like I would venture 
I think a guess that you know LinkedIn is really the platform that is makes the most sense for you. Yes. Yeah. And people comment that I use LinkedIn kind of like a lot of other people use Facebook, where I'm much more conversational and less extreme business formality there. Right. You're tossing in your comments and you're, yeah, and I see it all the time. Yeah. And I think that part of the resonance with the people in my LinkedIn community with SFAO is it is very human. It is sort of outside the norm of, you know, read this business book, show up at this virtual round table or what have you. And I like that. I like the kind of, huh, wouldn't have expected that here. I do a ton on Twitter too, but I don't pay as much attention to the results on Twitter. I don't really know why it feels sort of lighter, but many of the things that I post on LinkedIn, I also post on Twitter. No, it's interesting. And then, and then I've got guests who are big on Instagram or big on Facebook. And just depending on how my guests push out their episodes or push out ATBS across their platforms, you know, who picks it up, who listens to it. It's just a fascination. And I don't know that there's a right or a wrong. I know on my world, you know, who's listening? Well, friends, family, fans, and then you watch it spread. And hopefully we share interesting observations through good conversations and, and open some people's eyes. You know, what's interesting. I do have to comment on this. Matt is on a porch I think in New Hampshire, where it rains a lot, and I think it's raining right now because I can hear the rain coming off the roof. It is, and I was going to say before when you commented on the ding before I turned my phone off, that you may hear the occasional loon. Gosh, I hope so. That's all there is. There's just a little rain and a little loon, no activity on the lake right now. And I have goosebumps on my legs and arms because it's not feeling like July 17th. <laughs> the Northeast, baby. Riding the Northeastern weather roller coaster. My God, we went paddle boarding the other day. Beautiful afternoon. Again, we're on a lake. How extreme is anything? Well, you know how extreme it is. We went across about a mile. And as we turned to come back, squall came up and waves. I suck at paddle boarding. I haven't done it in eight years. I'd fallen off twice when I first was getting my feet underneath me. And we're coming across and we're going over big waves and the woman with whom I was doing it eventually sat down on her board because our bodies were creating these huge wind sails and we were making no progress. Like that is not what it was like when we started out a half an hour ago. So who knows? Yeah. Who knows? Well, lake living, you know, the difference between, you know, on the ocean, you've got currents and you've got prevailing winds, lakes, you like anything can happen. And I, I grew up on a lake and one of the first orders of business when you're a young kid is stay close to shore. So if you're going to go out in a kayak or you're, we didn't have paddle boards at that time, but if you're going to take one of the boats out, you got to stay close to shore because anything can happen at any time. And if the wind is up, you always start out upwind so you can ride the wind back to the dock or back to camp. Yeah. But of course the wind can turn around on a dime. And so lakes are, lakes are really interesting super dynamic, especially up in the Northeast where the weather changes really rapidly, right? You don't really know what you're going to get. Just ask the captain of the Edmund Fitzgerald. Exactly. And you don't really know what you're going to get, which maybe plays right into, holy shit, Matt, I'm really not sure what we're going to get, whether it's a day from now, three months from now, a year from now. Wow. It is so wild. It's so interesting if one could be that disinterested third party 
I was actually looking at somebody's post this morning, which was a whimsical look back on 2020 and all of the things that have happened that seem wildly improbable on their own, but the combination of them seem impossible beyond just improbable. But it's just so very interesting. And it used to be, I found that for the first numbers of weeks, probably almost three months, there was a real consistency in how people were feeling. Week by week, the ebbs and flows were more or less consistent across a band of people. Band as in like, you know, certain socioeconomic and professional band. But I think that that's begun to fall apart. I don't think that we're anywhere near as consistent through this as we were. And I think that's partially because we always do this analogy of you're on a plane and it doesn't really matter how long the flight is. It could be two hours or 20 hours and you're totally fine with whatever it is until you go into some kind of holding pattern or some sort of (laughs) in-air delay. And then you just can't take it. Like, I I don't have that 20 minutes left in me. And I feel like that's kind of how we are where we thought we were getting back to normal and then it didn't turn out to be normal. And a normal on the East Coast is different from a normal on the West Coast or a Northeast versus a Southeast or whatever. You know that image of the bridge that begins to vacillate and then vacillate and then it starts to hugely swing and then eventually falls apart? Yeah. I feel like that's where we are. Are we going back to school? The fact that you know you and I have college kids starting up next month and every day you kind of look for that email from the university saying, just kidding, right. can't really allow that. Right. No way can we put that many humans in one place and expect things to be okay. Yeah. And then, you know, earlier this week, you had Trump having to recant his decree that international students would not be allowed on campuses. But every day it's like, huh, I wonder, I wonder what this will bring. But then again, you look at where you are and where I am in Utah, New Hampshire, as crazy as the world is, it also hasn't changed at all from a kind of natural perspective. That's so remarkable. And I felt that at varying degrees from the start of this, too, where you can have so much instability, so much fear in the unknown and the business world coming to a halt in terms of public gathering and going to spaces and all. But yet nature just goes on unperturbed. I think I I sent you an electronic message yesterday asking if you had heard a recent episode, which is now out live. I think we put it out last week, talking to a young man in Tupper Lake, New York, which again, Northeast, deep in the Adirondack Park. And his name's Garrett Kopp, and he's a young entrepreneur and mushroom hunter and spends his days, weeks, months, summers, seasons out in the Adirondack Forest hunting mushrooms. And... You know, he said the same thing. And I had a conversation with Allie Cashel and same thing, right? She's up in Vermont. And, you know, when the first lockdown first happened, she's been walking the same trail every day for the past four months. And Mother Nature is fine. The leaves come out, the seasons go along. It's astounding. And here we are, you know, it it reminds me that we're just kind of like a fly on the back of this beautiful marble and the you know, zipping around in the universe and we could be flicked off like just a pest. I know. And how incredibly important each of us feels we are and how much we as people 
as in what common people feel as we are. And we're just not. Oh, a loon just popped up right in front of me. <laughs> I love so that. So beautiful. Speaking of which, let's just cue nature. Thank you, loon. Oh, and the second one, two loons side by side. Um, I remember 9-11 immediately thereafter when planes were all grounded and being at our house in Poundridge at that time and listening to the silence, particularly at night, and thinking, what a parasite we all are on this planet and if we were to disappear how long it would take to reclaim into those great nature shows that you see of how long it takes until nature retakes skyscrapers and so on and i feel that again in this moment of all of the confusion that we have about the life that we thought we knew and the predictability of it it isn't predictable and a lot of what we had habituated ourselves to we probably shouldn't have to begin with but nature is pretty predictable, not as we were just talking about the squalls and the needing to stay close to shore and so on, but the predictability of you know, springtime, for example. And especially being of the, the latitude, you and I are you know, from similar latitudes where you know, we're accustomed to seasons at whatever it is, 45 degrees or something, right? Like, which gives us four fairly distinct seasons, give or take, depending on where you are in the Northern Hemisphere. There are people in, let's say, Colombia, South America or Ecuador, where, you know, if you're on the equator, it's the same. They didn't grow up that way, right? Like the days and nights don't change, the seasons don't change and blows my mind. Like, hmm, I don't know how I would do with that. I do much better with the changing seasons you and I have talked about this being avid skiers. A season is beautiful because it just only lasts so long. It's going to be difficult to get bored of a winter season or a summer season or a fall season because they just don't last very long. There's change coming. It's interesting, too, that a number of us that had been living in cities that we vacated when COVID happened have been much more aware of nature than we had been where it used to be a thing that you participated in on a sort of sporadic basis versus if you are living, let's say, on the Cape during late winter and through spring. Like I have a Stewardia tree outside my office window and I marked the emergence of spring on a daily basis because I watched as the buds filled and then eventually they began to turn into leaves and then the growth of those leaves. And what a gift that was. Like when the hell in my entire life have I been in a position to watch spring happen? And that was from inside, but also just being at a in a summer community in a season that we don't normally enjoy. And I talked to a lot of people who are aware i heard that beautiful a lot of people who have participated in the world around them in a very different way these last few months and how many of us are saying yeah when we return to something that looks and feels a little bit more like the life we used to have we're not letting this part go so that leads me to how have you changed I just wrote a few questions down beforehand. What has changed in the 120 days or so? You know, you just said it. One thing that seems to have changed, being much more closely in touch with nature. When was the last time you actually were able to observe and feel spring in one place, one tree, 
come on from, you know, dormancy of winter to effulgence of spring and summer. What's changed for you, Matt? One of the things that I most appreciate about this, and I appreciate a whole lot of it, as much as we've talked about the instability and the uncertainty and so on, for those of us fortunate enough to have choice during this, it's been a blessing on so many levels. So yeah, absolutely. The appreciation of nature and the ability to be in one place where I was always on a plane, always on a train, always on a subway, always, always, always on the move. And I think that being present is something that is a big, powerful benefit of this, that you're not always having to anticipate what's your tomorrow. Your tomorrow looks an awful lot like your today. I wrote to somebody this morning and wished her a happy weekend. And I said, remember, those are the days that begin with us. Because <laughs> there is this sort of, you know, sameness, but there's a benefit to that sameness where you're not always into the future. So I think that's a good thing. I think another thing that is really positive is the conversations that one has from a professional perspective are much more personal now. And that's in part because, you know, we're not putting on fancy clothes and going to high rise buildings and then to conference rooms with all of the sort of artifice of business. Then we're starting conversations knowing that the people with whom we're talking are in their bedroom or certainly at least in their home. And so it's much more like when you invite somebody to your home, it's a much more personal thing. The conversations begin most often with, you know, where are you? Who's with you? How's it been going? Have you gotten out? Much more kind of grounding stuff, which makes whatever comes in the business context after that much more valuable, much more real. I don't think that many of us will allow that to change or change too dramatically. We were living in Brooklyn when this started, and we thought we were just moving to the Cape temporarily because there would be need to get back to office. I don't know that there is. So we're thinking maybe we live on the Cape until it gets too gray and bleak in November, although maybe that ends up being beautiful too. And then we go live somewhere else for the winter because what difference does it make? You know, so long as there is Wi-Fi. Doesn't matter what it is. That's so freeing. It's almost overwhelming in how freeing it is, though, because you can choose anywhere that has Wi-Fi. Wow. <laughs> There's a lot of places that fall under that broad heading. I feel like the same way. I Most listeners know that I live in ski country. I'm an avid snow skier, as is Matt. As with most things, we don't really know. Will there be a ski season? Will the lifts turn if the lifts do turn, do I really want to be here where people are coming in from all over the world? And so very similarly, oh, well, what are the options? You know, my life is changing pretty dramatically. You know that. And, you know, to have a palette out in front that is fairly blank and can be painted almost any way that I would like can be a bit overwhelming. Holy shit. Okay. Options. Yeah, well, so great, but it's kind of, you know, the burden of overchoice when you go to a restaurant that has too many things on the menu, you're like, I don't know, I don't know how to read this thing. 
part of what I spend most of my days on is onboarding people into our marketplace, which we've talked about. And one of the things that we do through that is we do what's called a difference makers brief. And it begins with objective. And this is from a career perspective, but objective, what are you looking to accomplish? And what are the criteria that need to be satisfied in order for you to do that? And I think that for people like you and me that have the choices that we do, starting with that objective is really critical. So you're going to go somewhere for the season. What do you want to get out of that experience? And if you can define that well, then it's not so overwhelming. I just saw a thing yesterday. Barbados has created an offer whereby you can get essentially a 12-month citizenship there. And you can come and go during that 12 months, but it's to encourage people like you and me who have the choices and the ability to be wherever we want to be that has Wi-Fi. And Barbados is saying, do it here. Spend a year here. (laughs) Hmm. I bet that had you scratching your chin. I did. Yeah. Well, haven't been thinking about Barbados, but sure. (laughs) Sure. Warm and beautiful in the wintertime. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about that's people like, you know, people who have choices. Another question that I wrote down, and I'm curious if it's changed in any way for you since our last conversation, you referenced that we both have kids, you know, young people in college, two daughters, you're going to have two, correct? No, two of mine have graduated. So only one tuition. Only one. Yeah. So, and the Volmerics, two tuitions. I'm hopeful that I have an audience of young people who are in that, you know, graduated high school, in college, just out of college. Okay, what kind of world do we live in? You know, what do you say to them at this stage of the game, Matt, just from a business that you're in, you know, recruiting and and placing talent? You know, there's the talent pool that's coming along. What do you say to them? I'm always, as are you, encouraged by conversations with people that are just getting started professionally. And I think that they're going to do what we haven't. Interestingly, I did just talk to two recent graduates earlier today who joined our firm and was talking to them about fractional employment and how, you know, a little bit before you were in my time, one was IBM Blue for life. And that meant that you graduated from college and you went to work at IBM and the expectation was that you would be at IBM for the rest of your life and that there was a nice tension that came at the end of that work life, that is. And over time, it started to be not quite for life, you know, but people would spend 10 to 20 years at a place. And anybody who hopped around, that meant that they were, you know, maybe in jobs for only five years was sort of looked down upon. What's wrong with you? Why can't you hold a job? And it's so changed now where the people coming into the workforce five years ago were anticipating having as many as seven different careers, not jobs, but careers. And we're not thinking that way yet. We're not thinking that way from an employment perspective. We're still thinking IBM Blue versus Uber, Airbnb, Rent the Runway, even auto leasing. We are spending the rest of our lives using things for the intent that they have and the time that comes with that intent. And so what I think happens with people coming into careers now is that they're going to be thinking more about what difference are they 
most capable of making and interested in making? And what's the organization and the time frame within that organization where they are going to be able to affect that change or make that difference? And that's really cool. You can say, like in my case, I'm a renovator. I'm pretty much on a three to four year typical time horizon where I can come into an organization that recognizes that it's not living up to its potential and help it to achieve or exceed that potential. And then once it's on maintenance, once it's not in need of a major rethink, I'm not that interested. I'm not a maintenance guy. I might become a arsonist firefighter in those instances. So, you know, find the next three to four. And so I'm working with a lot of people that are much farther along in their careers than the people that are just coming in about thinking differently and thinking about what's the opportunity that you want to take advantage of and how are you going to apply what you're most passionate about to that opportunity without thinking about it as you know, a forever moment. I think that's going to be what this generation helps the rest of the world do. As a final thought on that, when one looks at a resume today, you get to why the changes happened along that career path. And so you look at somebody who was at an organization for, let's say, that three to five years, and then goes to the next one. What you're listening for is, did you start to hate them or did they start to hate you? Like, what happened? Somebody broke up with somebody there, <laughs> which is not at all how you should be looking at it. You should be looking at it as, you know, awesome. Did you complete what you had gone there to do? Did you get all from that experience that you needed to get? And therefore, we're ready for the next one. How much more positive and helpful is it to think and perform that way? Complete shift in mentality, right? I love that. As you're talking, I'm thinking about it. And, and I think about the you know young people, like, what is it you want to be when you grow up? Well, it changes that conversation completely. What do you want to do for the first three to five years of your work life? What do you want to accomplish? And then where do you want to go from there? And how do you think you could springboard into something else and make a difference on a, you know, not, and you don't have to look 10 years down the road, but fascinating how that changes things up. Think about education, that we go through set numbers of years of education from you know, preschool to elementary school to middle school to high school, college, whatever, graduate studies, and then it ends. Why does it end? Why can't we be looking at every experience as kind of a furthering of our education, of accomplishing that thing that you want to accomplish in order to then go accomplish that next thing that you want to do? And life is potentially much more interesting when one looks at it that way. What do I want to get next? How can I go about doing that? And not always from a, what is it going to give to me, but what can I bring to that? How can I make that experience a better one through my participation. Yeah, I love that. I love that. The experience will unfold, right? So we might sit there and you might be talking to somebody who's coming out of college and, you know, talking about three to five years. Well, those three to five years aren't going to unfold exactly how they're designed. A little bit like walking through the forest. I think when we were just before we hit record, you said that, you know, in the afternoons, you've been going out for hikes and a little bit like being out in the woods hiking, you know, the path is not always perfectly clear. There might be a number of different ways to go. Ultimately, what makes life ridiculously interesting and, yeah, full of wonder, I think. Yeah. To maybe work the analogy harder than I should, 
in the notion of going for an afternoon hike, there's that kind of continual want for discovery and exercise. And that if you think about how much your career is providing the satisfaction for discovery and exercise, and I would say that an awful lot of people would say that it probably isn't doing a lot of either. But if you reprogram and think a little differently around how can it give you constant discovery, how much are you exercising your brain, exercising your experience, you know, we're going to be living so much longer, or at least we thought pre-COVID we were, who knows, but let's just pretend <laughs> that knows? anything that we thought four months ago <laughs> is still applicable. The notion of retirement at 65, if you're going to live to be a hundred and something is probably not supportable financially, but also, you know, what are you going to do for those extra 40 years or whatever? So the notion of continual career progression and trying new things that you'll need in order to maintain a 60, 70, 80 year work life is a requirement. I love the shift and is of no surprise to me that we're talking about a significant paradigm shift with Matt Seiler, right? Dis complete disruption. Let's turn things upside down. We're looking at things differently. But I think that's a beautiful piece where, you know, just there are the young people that are in and coming out of college. And then, you know, there are those of us who are further along. Well, can you reinvent? Can you learn? You know, I invite people onto my podcast and, and it's been fascinating, Matt. Like no one has said no to my invitation to join and, and which is I'm humbled and, you know, it's, it's really, it's wonderful. Then starting to think about as I do on a regular basis, like, where do we go now? What am I interested in discovering and sharing, not discovering for discovery's sake, but exploring through conversation that we can share with others and turn some lights on, right? That where people go, oh, oh that's very, that's interesting. That's different. Just the same. That's what we're doing here on SFAO. Oh, you could think of it differently. That's what I've loved in listening to so many of your episodes is that they're so varied and they're all that kind of discovery. There's so much insight that's come from all of your guests and all the conversations of which you've been a key part, but none of them is anywhere near the same as the other. And so it feels like you have a, a limitless potential library. There's the blank slate again. And my editor, you know, a long time ago, Wyatt said, look, you're going to have to, you're going to have to define your audience. You're going to have to narrow it down. And I said, I'm pretty sure I don't want to, you know, I don't want it to be college age student athletes, or I don't want it to be, you know, psychedelic mind expanding seekers only. I don't want it to be people who are just interested in health and wellness and epigenetics, or it's not just one thing. Well, there it is, you know, all things big and small and some are and some aren't. And, but it's, it's fascinating to go along and think, well, geez, I guess I can kind of go anywhere I want. Hmm. Cool. Yeah. So long as it's interesting, so long as you're involving other people in that journey, which you very much do. Yeah. And I think there is a danger where I sit, one has to be cautious to not become overly self-indulgent, like, oh, this is just a conversation that I want to have. And then somebody listens in and says, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, that's <laughs> not interesting. <laughs> yeah. 
but I don't think we've gotten there yet. Okay, Matt, I'm going to go back to SFAO episode number one. And one of the great things that you said, I forget where it came from, but you said, you know, what's changed for now versus what has changed for good and the variations on for good. And we probably recorded, you know, eight weeks ago or something. So what do you think on that subject today? Yeah. I do think that there is so much that has changed for good that is good. I worry a little bit about the things that I think are going to test us. So one of the things that certainly has been massive since last you and I spoke was George Floyd and the awareness of the continued levels of discrimination and lack of awareness and so on. And in hindsight, it's not at all surprising that that happened because you have a number of people who live in a country where first we feared the Mexicans because they were going to steal our jobs. And then we feared the Chinese because they were stealing our money and then got us sick. And then we feared the city people that fled cities and came up to summer communities like ours. And then we feared our neighbors because they were not protecting themselves in a similar way to ourselves. And then we feared the people that we passed on the street in the early days when there was an option to wear a mask versus not wear a mask. And at that moment of extreme xenophobia, us being with only people that were exactly like we, as in, you know, family members or tight community, was when we were told to get back out there and repopulate. And it doesn't take long for us to build real prejudice and to get into our own heads. And so that we would have warring factions within the country. Again, not at all a surprise, always there, but exaggerated because I think of how much into ourselves we have gotten. You know, take cable news or radio that is either for red or blue, and then just imagine that down to a household level. I think that what's coming next, and I'm amused actually that I am saying, yeah, it's all for good, and then I'm going completely to the opposite. But what the hell, while on the opposite, I think that what happens next is as everybody seems to want to vacate cities and populate more rural areas, there are going to be a number of civic factions. And one of them is going to be around taxation because people saying, yeah, I'm not going to ever go back to New York or I'm never going to go back to an office are going to run afoul with municipalities and their governments that need you to be there because they've got a whole structure or infrastructure that is based upon people's moving in and out of those municipalities on a daily basis and spending the money that they do as they come and go and the income tax dollars that follow with that. And so as we say, I'm not going back there. States, local governments are all going to go, oh, yeah, you are. And there's going to be a carrot and stick thing. Of there will be opportunities given to organizations from a rebate or tax incentive to come back. And there will be communities of people within those organizations going, you can't make me. And then maybe a little test of whether you can or cannot make them. The other thing I think is going to happen is that as much as we all proclaim that we're not going back to the office, it's hard to stick with that conviction when the big boss, Jeff, has decided to go back to the office. And Matt has decided he doesn't really need to be there. But Mary <laughs> recognizes that 
since Jeff's there, maybe she should be there, which means that Matt recognizes he's sort of disadvantaging himself by not being where Jeff and Mary are. And that starts getting people all wiggy because they are really not sure that they can stick with their convictions of not going to an office when other people are beginning to repopulate them. So I think there's like civil unrest, organizational stress that comes with this. But on the other side of it, finally back to the good, is we won't work the same way. We will continue to have a much more balanced life. We will be with our friends and families more than we have historically been. I think we'll be much more choiceful on when we go to meetings versus when a video conference is just fine, thank you. So I think that we'll have, you know, maybe two days of home and three days of work. You know, how many years have people been saying, we've got this week backwards, two days of weekend and five days of work. Why can't we have five days a weekend and two days of work? It's not going to be five days a weekend, but I think it'll be you know, more like half and half of needing to be somewhere and doing the rest from where you want to be. Well, and I think, you know, to your point that it's not five weekend days, it might be five days a week where the family's having dinner together, where there's that tighter connection, there's that real true connection with other and with the people that matter in our lives. It's amazing how much we've embraced that. Right. And I will totally cop to, I will say to people, I, I don't need another family dinner. You know, uh, I believe, I believe it was n night 96 was the first night off from family dinner. Like, I mean, I love these people. I made some of them, but I don't need to have conversation with them around the dinner table every single night. Sometimes I would like to pick up my plate and watch something on television. But, <laughs> but when I say that, everybody's like, really? No, I'm, I'm totally loving this. And it's remarkable how much I think we're finding that people are willing to put phones down, to not turn television sets on, to really enjoy conversation and how much reflection there is on why didn't we do this before? Oftentimes we don't do things until they're forced upon us. We don't, we don't know to change until change makes us. About this as a something that could be added into that seven day cycle. I follow very closely the Birch Boys mushroom guys up in up in the Adirondacks. I'm just fascinated by their program and their protocol and the seasonality and all the things. Anyway, Garrett put out a, a challenge the other day, which was, you know, the Birch Boys challenge, which sometime in the next week, join us and on a day of your choosing to set down all of your devices and spend a day in nature. You know, imagine if once a week or once a month or, you know, once with some regularity, shut it all off and spend a day, a 24 hour period unplugged, not necessarily sleeping on the ground, but plugged into nature, plugged into those around us. Hmm. Interesting. That's a change for good to your point where we all the way back, you know, to the very beginning of the conversation, Mother Nature doesn't seem to give too much of a shit, you know, what we're going through. So get on out there and, and revel in what's going on in the natural world. But it's funny, you know, as you say, you know, pick a day, join us, put things down. If you think about all of the 
messaging of if we all stopped eating meat just one day a week, what that would do for greenhouse effects and so on. And yet we hear it and an awful lot of us don't really do anything about it. You know, yeah, I, I could do that. I think about when I was a teenager, I used to drive my neighbor Lucy to school and I would run out of gas all the time. And she one time said to me, Maddie, why don't you just pretend that the gas tank is empty at half and fill it at that point? And then maybe we wouldn't run out of gas so often. And I said, well, the problem with that is I know it isn't actually empty. I can't really <laughs> trick myself into it. And I like to run on fumes. And so, no, I'm going to run it all the way down and imperil us through that. And I think that <laughs> you have to run out of gas in order to deal. And so this moment of maybe it is a good idea to talk to your children. Maybe I knew that before, and maybe I would have done something about it had somebody got the message through, but rather it took being forced to talk to them. And I'm exaggerating that I do talk to the children you know, at a minimum level, but I do talk to them. But it took being forced to do it for us to all go, yeah, these people aren't so bad. I think I'll talk to them again tonight. Yeah, night number 97. Let's do this again. I have a hysterical guy with whom I used to work who has a Facebook daily photograph that is, I think we're on day 125 today. And he started with a Corona bottle and him and or a child or two is dressed in some weird way using Corona as coronavirus and what day it was. And he, like the rest of us, thought that, you know, it would be pretty funny and maybe we'd get up to, you know, 30 to 60 bottles of Corona, and that would be that. We'd all be back to the life as we knew it. Now, seeing 125 Corona bottles displayed in a whole bunch of ways and all of the things that he's gotten up to in that, like, yeah, fun, funny, different from what we thought, and certainly going on a lot longer. And who knows how many Corona bottles are going to end up on those daily Facebook feeds before we're back to... Yeah, we do not know. And I think that... You know, for me, Matt, for so long, we think we know where we're headed. We think we know what's around the corner. And for me, this has really just made things crystal clear that, look, folks, we just don't know. We don't know about the coronavirus and, and we don't know about the very necessary, I think, in the civil unrest. We don't know where things go and we have to get square with that individually, collectively. And that's, that's challenging, but look, not knowing and getting up in the morning and, and proceeding into another day, you know, the, with the good fortune to have another day of the human experience. You know, I love it. I love the fact that we don't know. Me too. And, and isn't it interesting that, you know, from the perspective of being mortal beings, we don't know how long we're going to live. We don't know what's on the other side of this life or whatever, but yet we mostly wake up with optimism. But there's certainly, terrible choice of word because I'm about to use uncertain, but there is a certain unpredictability to all of this. Like there's an unknowingness that goes with life, yet we try to control so many things, maybe because of that. And I think COVID has kind of gotten us much more comfortable with, well, maybe I don't need to all of this stuff. Maybe living with uncertainty or recognizing that we're all living with uncertainty is good for humankind. 
I think back to, we had a great new priest come to a church that we went to years ago who didn't come from the clergy originally. And the church that he had joined was very moribund and needed to have a major rethink, mostly from a financial perspective. So he asked about a dozen of us, we were all CEOs of different industries, to think about VUCA, which is a military term, which I always get wrong what exactly it stands for, but it's like volatility, uncertainty, changeability, and adaptability. I'm certain that one of those is wrong, but more or less, it's around the notion of you you can't control this stuff. There's going to be a lot of things happening around you that you're just going to have to deal with. And so he asked each of us to do a presentation to the church community about how VUCA had impacted our businesses and what the implications for the church. And it was, at the time, it was the most meaningful presentation I think I'd ever given. And I loved being able to think about how technology particularly, which is what had impacted our business and so many others so dramatically, what the implications for the church might be and how lacking in evolution many church environments had been because it still was go to a certain place at a certain time. Well, technology and entertainment wasn't about a certain place or time anymore. So how do you get the church to think differently about how you can still have community and you can still have the messaging of whatever your denominational choice is come to you in a much more modern way? And I think about that as relates to now, which is, you know, if ever one were to think about VUCA, if one were to think about how to live in a world that is really not predictable, that is going to force you to deal with uncertainty and require adaptability. It's this one. And that we are all traveling through it together. And again, I'm not at all suggesting that each of us has been fortunate enough to make the kinds of choices that you and I have been able to make. And there are so many people at the front lines and so many people that have suffered much more than has any of us. But that collectively in a broad societal way, each of us is going through the same thing at the same time all over the world means that we're all kind of having to accept this uncertainty and recognize that everyone around us is too. Kind of cool. For me, that's where a certain amount of optimism comes from, that the global family is experiencing all of these same pieces at different levels, different places, geography, countries, socioeconomic, you name it. It's different for everybody, but there is a there is a common thread that connects us all. And that to me, that gives me great hope and reason for optimism that as a tribe, as a global tribe, we will come out better. We will be better. We will be more compassionate. We will be, you know, more connected more willing to accept change like oh change change we, we've always said you know it's the it's the one thing we can bank on i think it's being hammered home you want change here she comes and the thing is we don't want change no one of the things that's always kind of cracked me up is surprise parties Surprise parties are only fun for the people that are planning the surprise party and therefore are absolutely in control and will not be surprised. 
The person who's being surprised is a victim. Does the man who hates a surprise party. <laughs> hate them. The whole notion of it is wrong. Like, we want predictability. We want to know that when we open the door, there's not going to be a whole bunch of people popping up from behind the couch. We want to know that, you know, it's it's the environment that I know and control. Yet, changes everywhere all the time. The control, again, that each of us feels like we need to have in order to be stable, to be sane, to be able to predict how tomorrow's going to go. Well, no. Sorry. Not the case. And it's going to be messy, you know, as we evolve to all the great things that you say in terms of our being more connected and our being more available and our sharing common experiences stuff. We're going to trip all over ourselves because it's not what we're preconditioned to be or do. And we're going to have setbacks and there are going to be challenges to it. But we've all had a taste that I think that we're not going to be willing to go back to bland. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And I, I'm hopeful that we're heading in this direction where we're a little more willing to listen with the intent to understand. We're a little, little less at the ready to pounce when somebody makes a mistake because it is going to be messy. We're going to make mistakes. I'm going to say the wrong shit on ATBS, the podcast. I'm going to say something that's going to offend somebody, but it's not because I'm trying to be offensive. It's because I'm learning. So... Yeah, Matt, here we are at almost an hour of SFAO version or episode number two. And one of our question marks was, could we do this again and have it be conversational? And should it be reoccurring? I very much hope so. Me too. And what you and I talked about ahead of time that I was wanting to ensure didn't happen was that the artifice of recording would somehow change the conversation. And I am not at all surprised to see with your great stewardship that, that wasn't the case at all. And if you keep asking, I will be like the rest of your participants. I will never say no. And it's always great talking to you. And I'm, again, so proud of you and what you've done over these last few weeks and can't wait to see What's next? Matt Tyler, you're a good friend, and thank you for your insights. You live a very unique life. We live these lives that are so very different, and I love your perspective and your willingness to share and our conversations and everything we've said before. I love you, brother, and thank you for joining ATBS, the podcast, and SFAO number two. Well, there it is, SFAO number two with Matt Seiler. I highly recommend checking out Matt's insightful and entertaining articles on LinkedIn. And if you like what you're hearing on the podcast, please become an ATBS The Podcast patron. You can do that by clicking on the Patreon link on our website. Spread the word in whatever way feels comfortable to you and subscribe, follow, share, like, all of it makes a difference. Thank you as always for spending your time listening. I surely appreciate it. Till next time, be kind, stay healthy, and keep thriving.